0: Good afternoon, hello, and welcome to Bill's Facebook Studies as we go through F. Smith's The Daily Bible, great daily Bible reading tool. We find ourselves still working with King Solomon just after the days of King David, while the uh, Kingdom of Israel is still united, but it's going down, and it'll go down... Uh, during the days of King Rehoboam, Solomon's son, right after Solomon's death and uh, some poor choices made. But that's a reading coming up. Today we're focused on uh, pretty much the end of Solomon's contribution to scripture. We're going to be looking at two books that allegedly he has written. I think it's safe to say that he did. And, um, and they are the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon, and the Book of Ecclesiastes. Um, pretty soon we'll see, uh, on Thursday, uh, how the kingdom of uh, Solomon and the kingdom of Israel declines at the end of his life, and, uh, and then divides into the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, faithful and loyal to the heir of King David, uh, his grandson. King Rehoboam and the Northern Kingdom of Israel and 10 of the 12 tribes take off and say forget it we're not following you anymore and everything that leads up to that we'll look at on Thursday. Today however as I said we're looking at the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon and Um, The book of Ecclesiastes. First of all, uh, the Song of Songs. That's what it's called in some of the newer translations, including the NIV that I typically use. Then refer to the English Standard Version and, of course, the King James and New King James. Uh, In the old traditional King James Version, it's the Song of Solomon. And uh, and so uh, it's interesting because uh, the Song of Solomon has a great reputation of being a very passionate, a very graphic uh, 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 message about uh, the physical sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. And I think that that is uh, I think that that's accurate. I think that that's accurate. Uh, Lagarde Smith says, unlike most of the preceding wisdom literature, such as Psalms and Proverbs, the Song of Songs deals more with romantic love than with wisdom, prayer, or praise. And that is certainly true as you read uh, through it. Instead of discussing wisdom and purpose and praise, the song of songs expresses unrestricted joy in a relationship of love. And that's uh, Dr. Smith's uh, description of it. And despite language, he says, which is unusually graphic and sensual in description, and it is, if you've read it, you know it is, there is no hint of improper lust. And so the love and the passion that is expressed in uh, the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon is expressed between a husband and his wife Uh, interestingly enough before we get there there are some other passages in the song of songs that we know uh, outside of the physical relationship between the husband and wife for example in song of songs chapter 2 verse 1 the beloved the woman in the story says I am a rose of Sharon a lily of the valleys well we know there are songs taken from that jesus rose of sharon wonderful old traditional christian hymn and uh uh, the song about jesus that he's the lily of the valley the bright and morning star Uh, both of those rose of sharon and lilies of course are flowers or plants But they're also described in the Song of Songs as the Beloved speaks. Uh, And uh, another passage in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 4. Again, the woman is speaking. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Perhaps you remember that song a devotional type song almost a children's song. He invites us into his banquet table and his banner over us is love. I remember singing that song as a teenager at Lackland Terrace Church of Christ in San Antonio back in the 70s. Well. That's taken primarily from uh, that verse in Song of Songs chapter 2 verse 4. And so yes, there's certainly a message there. And interestingly enough, as you read through the Song of Solomon, you realize that there are a couple of different applications, and some have seen in this a description of the relationship between God and his people, the love that God had for his people, the people of Israel, and of course in New Testament days, the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. Certainly in Ephesians 5, it speaks of Jesus being uh, the, the groom and his church being his bride. Jesus tells some parables about that during his lifetime. And the book of Revelation expresses that, that the saved come down as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, beautiful symbolism in the relationship between Christ and his church. Whereas I think there are some applications there. I think as you read through the Song of Solomon, that's not the primary purpose. I don't think the primary purpose is to talk about God's relationship with his people, the nation of Israel in the days of King Solomon, or Christ's relationship with his church. I think there's applications there. But it seems like as you read through the Song of Songs that um, the primary message is a a great message of love and passion, uh, physical attraction and devotion and loyalty between a husband and his wife. As you read through it in some of the uh, newer translations, uh, typically when it's the woman that is speaking, uh, it is referred to as she or beloved, and you see some subtitles there. When it's the man that is speaking, the husband, the male, it is referred to as he or the lover, uh, lover and beloved, the male and the female, he and she. The same way, and then there are others who speak up, and it's kind of the congregation, the friends, the neighbors, speaking about it. As you read through it, it's very interesting to hear them participate in the discussion, and some uh, put that as friends or others, and we see that in a in a very great way. Uh, Many have said, questioned the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, because of its graphic nature in describing uh, the physical attraction between the husband and his wife, between the male and the female. And yet, at the same time, there's nothing impure about it. In fact, reminds me of a great passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It says marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed, that physical sexual relationship between husband and wife, male and female, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Well, Scripture says that marriage is honored, and that the physical union between a man and his wife is pure. It's something that is God's idea. We've talked about that before in some of our studies. For example, Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew 19 and reaffirms and reiterates what uh, is recorded in the very first chapters of the Bible back in Genesis as it goes back to creation. And Jesus himself affirms in Matthew 19 that a man, a male, should leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife female and and that's a great blessing and they are told to uh fill the earth and there's only one way that that would happen so for uh scripture's perspective, God created us male and female. He created us that way in his design to live together as husband and wife and to procreate and also to provide pleasure to each other. 1 Corinthians 7 is a very clear picture that says there's also uh, the uh, physical pleasure and emotional connection and loyalty that comes between a husband and wife. And and so that's something, again, that's God's design. We don't have to be embarrassed about it Uh, we don't have to try to think we have to apologize for it or not talk about it it's something that clearly is from god but it's also something under god's word as hebrews 13 verse 4 says that it is honorable it is to be kept honorable it is pure it is to be kept pure And unfortunately, our society in this country over the last uh, years has uh, gone way overboard in making that beautiful thing that God designed impure and dishonoring this wonderful institution of marriage that God ordained. This is from God. This is not from anybody. This is from the Lord. And it goes all the way back to creation. It is affirmed by the prophets. It's affirmed in the Law of Moses. It's affirmed in the letters of the New Testament, it's affirmed in Revelation, and it's affirmed by Jesus himself in the Gospels. Uh, So as you read through uh, the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, don't be embarrassed but rather uh, be encouraged and inspired by the great love and passion and devotion and loyalty that this man and this woman have for each other. Uh, lots of good books have been written about the husband-wife relationship, some based on this this uh, book, The Song of Solomon or The Song of Songs. Emerson Egricks has written a great book called Love and Respect, Which I think is a wonderful book. Um, uh, Willard Harley has written His Needs, Her Needs. uh, Another great book. Uh, Other authors, Ed and Gay Wheat's uh, classic Intended for Pleasure speaks specifically about the sexual relationship, the physical relationship between husband and wife. And Shanti Hahn, James Dobson, so many others have written such great and wonderful things to help us in our relationships as husband and wife. We're not going to read much from the Song of Solomon, uh, but I do want us to emphasize two verses, actually three verses, that give us that clear picture of the devotion that this man and this woman have for each other. Uh, There are so many passages throughout that talk about their uh, their being attracted to each other and their physical love for each other. But these talk about that inner devotion, and it, it is inspiring uh, to hear the the mutual respect and equality that's given between this husband and wife. And it's such a great reminder of what Paul says in Ephesians 5 when he tells us all as Christians and then later on as husbands and wives to submit to one another, respect one another out of submission and respect for Christ. So these verses, Song of Songs chapter 2, verse 16, And this is the beloved, the woman talking. She says, my beloved is mine and I am his. Uh, Whereas some may say, oh, no, no, no. She belongs to him or he belongs to her. The way scripture puts it is they belong to each other out of submission and respect and obedience to God and his word. Very similar statement in chapter 6, verse 3. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Great, great statements from the female character, the uh, the beloved. But then this uh, statement also: uh, "I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me." Great statement in Song of Songs, chapter seven, verse ten. So I hope that as you read, as you have read through the Song of Songs, and if you read through it again, that you find that picture of uh, of wonderful a godly love and passion and devotion and loyalty and friendship between a husband and a wife Um, well let's take a transition now to go from uh, the song of songs the song of solomon to the book of ecclesiastes ecclesiastes is a very difficult book and challenging to read i know as you're reading through it really right now If you're on target then you you realize that wow this guy is he this guy is depressed I mean if his favorite word is meaningless everything is meaningless or vanity as you read through Ecclesiastes he tries everything and he comes up it seems at every turn with the same conclusion it's all vanity it doesn't matter it's all useless it's all meaningless And I think it's important as we read through the book of Ecclesiastes that we recognize what's going on and what's happening here. Ecclesiastes speaks of the frustration and meaninglessness of life, absolutely, but it speaks of it when your purpose is not God's purpose. When you seek to get fulfillment and meaning and purpose and mission in life by something other than what your creator has created you uh, by design uh, to find in that purpose and mission in life. Uh, And these things that he tries are maybe good things. They're, They're not really inherently bad or good. They can be good, but they're not enough. To live your life for—they're not enough to make your purpose and your mission in life—and that's what this, the writer of Ecclesiastes, again, I think King Solomon is looking for and searching for—and he had the wherewithal and the means to do it, and he did it upright. I mean, he tried everything. Some of it led to his downfall, uh, such as his marriage to multiple wives of all kinds of different. Uh, backgrounds and religions and faiths and it ultimately uh, caused him to worship gods that are not the one true and living God. And so as we go through this book uh, I want us to just look at a few passages and look at them kind of topically. First of all, before we get to what is the real purpose and mission in life, um, let's look at what not to live for. And Ecclesiastes does talk about that. In fact, the majority of the book is uh, the the King Solomon's search for meaning and purpose in life by uh, the process of elimination, if you will. He tries all kinds of things, and they just don't work. They just don't work. And interestingly enough, we do the same. We do the same so a few things that he says are not worth living for that can't give us that purpose and meaning in life include human achievements achieving things uh worldly wisdom the wisdom of this world pleasure finding pleasure in life wealth material wealth um, uh, your job your work Uh, So many other things. And again, these things are not necessarily bad in and of themselves. But if that's your purpose in life, if that's what you're seeking to find as your mission, uh, your goal, your reason for living, it won't be enough. And that's what the wise man in Ecclesiastes learns. So just one verse, one passage to give an example of some of those that I just mentioned. And it's at the very beginning in chapter 1 ecclesiastes 1 the first 11 verses the words of the teacher son of david king in jerusalem meaningless meaningless says the teacher utterly meaningless everything is meaningless and you're thinking wow i can't wait to read this book (laughs) but again You have to hear it from the perspective of a man who's tried everything and he can't find it until he finally does. And before we finish this study, before you finish the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that he tells you uh, the one thing that is worth living for. Uh, Verse 3. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back. To where it rises, the wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome; more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Again, a very familiar statement from Ecclesiastes. Verse 10 of chapter 1. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, there, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them i the teacher verse 12 was king over israel and jerusalem i applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens and he could do it as we know what a heavy burden god has laid on mankind verse 14 i have seen all the things that are done under the sun all of them are meaningless a chasing after the wind so all these things that king solomon tried including wisdom Uh, weren't enough to find as your purpose in life as the meaning of life as the one goal the one thing I remember uh, Curly in City Slickers you remember uh, his character Jack Palance's character talking to Billy Crystal and his character in that great movie <laughs> City Slickers and while they're out by themselves uh, he says you want me to tell you the meaning of life the purpose in life and Billy Crystal says yeah 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 and he says it's just this one thing holds up that that old raggly finger and so Billy Crystal says what is it what is it and he says well that's you're going to have to figure out on your own well, I don't know. I, there's some things I like about that. I do think we all have to make that journey and make that search. But I think ultimately we all need to come da- back down to the same place. Because there truly is only one thing that we can use if we're going to find ultimate purpose and meaning in life. Because everything else is good, whether you're talking about relationships, family, Uh, Work, job, uh, wisdom, achievements, all those things are good, but they're not worth living for ultimately. Well, another thing that the wise man says is hard work. In chapter 2, verse 17, again, this is something that we think is really important, and it is, but it's not the most important Here's an example. Chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun this too is meaningless Um, it's just difficult to over over overemphasize the wise man's struggle here trying things that were good things on the surface and in and of themselves not inherently bad But what he did was he tried to find them as the ultimate purpose and mission in life, and they weren't good enough. They didn't uh, pass muster. They didn't stand up. Uh, One more thing that's a little bit surprising on what not to live for is external religion. It won't come as a surprise to those who have read Jesus in the Gospels. It won't come as a surprise to those who have read read the Prophets such as Isaiah or Micah or Hosea. Ecclesiastes 5 beginning at verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you're on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. Sounds a lot like Proverbs. Verse 4 of chapter 5. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Solomon talks about external religion. He talks about having lots of words when you go before God, making lots of promises and vows and oaths and things. And he says, God doesn't care about those things. He doesn't need those things. And those things aren't what ultimately matters external religion has its place certainly so I've given my life to it in a way hopefully what I've given my life to is what he ends with here when he says therefore fear God and that's gonna give us a little hint as to what the final answer if you will is gonna be to the question of what is the meaning of life what's our purpose but before we get there we'll mention chapter 5 verse 7 again in a moment but some things that we can't change these things are things that are frustrating because it's just the way of the world and this is what causes the wise men and ecclesiastes to say it's all meaningless there, there's nothing we can do about these things for example the prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous Uh, He says in chapter 7, verse verse 15, and in chapter 8, verse 14, that it's one of those things that is meaningless under the sun. He says that the, the wicked prosper, and the righteous suffer, and it's not right. And it's not as it should be, but it's the reality that we live with. And many times, as we saw in the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms, that is the case. That is the case. We compare Job who felt that way. He felt like the righteous would always prosper and the wicked would always suffer. And he was a righteous man and he had always prospered until he didn't. And God had a higher purpose than just Job's physical and emotional prosperity and even health. It was his spiritual relationship to be taken to a different, a greater level. Um, another thing that we can't change, that Solomon in Ecclesiastes tells us, is the universal certainty of death. In chapter 9, the first six verses, he says, look, I, I found something else that's frustrating under the sun, and that is that the righteous live and die just like the wicked live and die. Uh, they're not saved from death because they're righteous. They, they die just like uh, the wicked does, the wise does, the fool does, the rich, the poor, they all." have the end of their life in death and uh, in a Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 a verse I mentioned in the sermon this past Sunday is it's appointed unto everyone once to die and then to face God in judgment thankfully the rest of that verse passage says that jesus died once to save us so that when we do stand before god in judgment he will not consider our lives as much as he will consider the life and sacrifice of jesus in our behalf great passage there in hebrews 9 beginning in verse 27 unfortunately the wise man in in ecclesiastes didn't have that to look back on like we do but he knew the certainty of death for all. And then one last thing that we can't change and that's the inability to know what is best or to control the future. These words from chapter eight in verses seven and eight. Uh, Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it the wise man says look we can't control our lives and it's much like what James would say in the New Testament the half-brother of Jesus in James chapter 4 verses 13 through 17 when he says look include God in your plans Uh, make sure you say and actually live and believe that if if it's according to the Lord's will then I'm going to plan on doing this. I'm going to do that. And it's not just a matter of saying if the Lord wills. It's a matter of including God in our lives and making him out to be our number one, putting God first. Uh, That's what it's called upon to do. I'm beginning a series of lessons on the Ten Commandments this coming Sunday morning in our worship service during the sermon. And it's, uh, I've entitled it The Ten Questions, and I'll be asking the questions about related to each of those Ten Commandments. Uh, for example, who calls the shots in your life as we begin this series this Sunday? Okay, so finally, the, the uh, other side of the coin, and this is a great place for us to end on, although we have a few passages to look at. And that is the answer to the question, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning in life? What, what is the one thing that I can live for? Why do we live? What are the keys to victorious living? And so he shares a few things about that. And the first one I want to mention is in chapter 3, verse 1. And see if you can remember a song by the great rock group, The Birds, that comes almost word for word from this passage out of the Bible. Who would have thought a rock and roll song would have the lyrics written by King Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. to everything turn 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 there is a season you know that great classic a uh, song from the 60s from the great rock group the birds is taken right out of this remember that timing is everything there's a time for everything under heaven and a season and a purpose for everything this may not be the right time but it may be later Um, Another thing of the why to live is uh, enjoy life. There's much in in Ecclesiastes about that. For example, in chapter 3 still, verses 12 and 13, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil, this is the gift of God. What a great, great statement. Again, in chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Um, The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. We talked about that a moment ago. Then verse 15, so I commend the enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Uh, so many other times in Ecclesiastes, he says, enjoy life with the, with the wife of your youth. Uh, find that pleasure. And enjoy life. Jesus meant for us to enjoy life. We're created to give glory to God and to serve him. And to find joy in doing that. Um, Another aspect of this why do I live? What is the purpose and meaning of life? Is to trust God's wisdom. In chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about the future. Again, we live by faith, not by sight. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. There will come a time when our faith will give way to sight and we'll be in the presence of the Lord for eternity. But that time is not here yet. And as long as we're here in this life, we live by faith, not by sight. And so the wise man says, trust God's wisdom. Uh, Not every prayer that you offer is going to be answered with a yes. Because God sees everything for everybody for all time. Tim Keller shared that God answers our prayers as if... uh, as if as the way we would answer our own prayers if we knew everything that God knows and I think that's the key as we reach out to God we look to his word and we seek to live according to his will and even Jesus himself prayed the same prayer he taught us to pray not my will but yours be done we pray for god's will to be done in what we call the lord's prayer thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and that starts with me in my life that's living by faith trusting god that whatever plays out that he'll be with us whether it's good or bad for us in the short term uh, he'll be with us and ultimately it will be good for us and for all of his creation that's what he wants and so we trust God's wisdom what's the answer to the question what do I live for what is it that ultimately I should do well we saw the answer in chapter 5 verse 7 as as the writer of Ecclesiastes was talking about don't make put your trust in many words and in external religion but he ends that statement with therefore fear God in chapter 5 verse 7 in chapter 7 beginning at verse 15 chapter 7 verse 15 In this meaningless life of man of mine I have seen both of these the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness Do not be over righteous neither be over wise why destroy yourself Do not be over wicked and do not be a fool why die before your time It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes I remember brother Ira North's great word uh, from years ago, a great preacher in the Church of Christ in Nashville, Tennessee, the Madison Church of Christ, when he said balance. It's all about balance, and that's what the wise man says here. Look, don't don't trust in your own righteousness. Don't be overly righteous. Don't be overly wicked. Just be a human. Just live a, a, a normal life, a healthy life, a life serving God, serving others and avoid those extremes, and instead fear God. Hold God in the highest place. Reverence God. We talked about that as we looked at all those great passages in Proverbs that speak about fearing God and what it means. It means obeying His will. It means trusting in Him and serving Him. Uh, We keep reading in chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 12, Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Ecclesiastes, like the rest of scripture, acknowledges that sometimes it looks like those who do wrong live a long time and are blessed and happy. But the wise man in Ecclesiastes says, look, I know that even if that happens, even if a wicked person who commits a 100 crimes lives a long time and and, uh, doesn't seem to suffer at all, I know it will go better for those who fear God. And that is the truth. And that's how we all live. Well, finally, at the end of Ecclesiastes, the book, in chapter 12, the wise man gives us the result of his, his search. And this is where we end our study today. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind for God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil King Solomon had all the riches all the wealth all the time all the power to explore everything to find the meaning and purpose and mission in life that one thing that makes life worth living and this is what he finds coming to the end of his life knowing as Hebrews 9 said that everyone must die and then after that face judgment from the Lord and that is a scary thing unless you have lived your life the way Solomon says you should live the way Jesus said seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness trusting in him as the old hymn says trust and obey this is where King Solomon ends up this great lifelong search and it's where we should come to as well and the sooner the better. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. I look forward to being with you again on Thursday afternoon. May God bless us all to fear him and keep his commandments. Amen.